Hi, everybody. Welcome to church. Welcome to Trinity. So great to be with you. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the associate lead pastor here at Trinity, and it's good to be with you again. Feels like it's been a minute. A happy fourth to all of you who are celebrating, uh, no doubt, at home. Hope you're doing something fun and festive. Enjoy your day off tomorrow. Whatever celebrating looks like for you, I hope you do it. If you have Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. And while you're all turning there, I'll just say this quickly before we jump into the text. Um, For these next several weeks, we are going to be uh, focusing here at Trinity really intentionally on Jesus. Jesus at the center is going to be our theme for these next few weeks. This is the season of ordinary time, and so we have a little bit more freedom to do what we feel like we need to do as a church, focus our attention together. And in light of what we've all been through this past year, so many of us feeling so disoriented, disconnected, pulled in a million different directions. We feel like our instinct is to put our attention back squarely on Jesus as a way of sort of reorienting ourselves, bringing it back to focus the things that really matter. Colossians 1 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's the Bible's way of saying that as far as God's concerned, Jesus is at the center of the world, the story He's telling, and of your life and my life. And so when we feel sideways or misaligned or out of touch, we're supposed to look to Jesus as a way of uh, reorienting ourselves around what really matters and what God's doing. So that's going to be our aim over these next few weeks, is to put Jesus squarely in front of us at the center and see what the Lord has for us. So today we're going to read these uh, short six verses from Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We'll read and then we'll pray. Verse 1. He, Jesus, left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, Lord, um, today, wherever we are, right now, I ask you, Lord, to go gather your people to yourself. Holy Spirit, lay hands of peace on us. Still us and reassure us, Lord, wherever we are, that you have gathered us to yourself, that your word is not limited by time or place, that you are present with us and to us. We ask you now, Lord, that you would just help us to hear you. Help us to put Jesus at the center and see you, Lord, as you really are. And ourselves, Lord, in relation to you. It's in your name, God, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is in his hometown. He's back in Nazareth. uh, Coming to teach in the synagogue. He's teaching on the Sabbath. And when he starts to teach, uh, the people have a really interesting uh, reaction. The NRSV says that they're astounded. Other translations might say they were amazed at him. Uh, But better translated, they were put off by him. 
uh, scandalized. They sort of stumble over him. So why they start to say things like, who is this? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't he Mary's boy? Don't we know his brothers and aren't, don't I see his sisters uh, every single day? Uh, one verse says they, uh, they were amazed at him or more literally they took offense at him. I think that's really interesting. The verb literally means that they tripped or that they stumbled over Jesus. Fascinating to think about the fact that Jesus was coming to his hometown in order to do miracles there, in order to bring the kingdom of heaven, to give them a gift. And instead what ends up happening is that people stumble over him or take offense at him. And I think we're meant to ask the question, why? What happened? This is verse 5. It says, he could do no miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The thing I find so interesting about this story, and I mean troubling, honestly, about this story, is that the issue that these people seem to have with Jesus is the fact that they know him. It's what they know about Jesus that becomes the problem for actually having an experience of faith. And the reason that that's interesting is because it's really different from, for example, the experience that the Pharisees had, the issue they had with Jesus. Their problem was that they knew the law too well. It's what they knew about their tradition and about um, the law that kept them from being able to make sense of Jesus. They couldn't reconcile that knowledge with what they knew about who he was. He was just too progressive. He was too other. He wanted to heal on the Sabbath and touch too many sick people, and they just like, couldn't wrap their minds around it. But that's different from what's happening here in Nazareth. Uh, these people think they know Jesus. It's their familiarity with him, not how foreign he is that becomes the problem. They knew him when he was a kid. They know his mom and dad. They know the world that he grew up in. And so there's this, what I think is like a false sense of familiarity that ends up becoming a barrier to genuine faith. And it's that point one of the things I think Mark is trying to get us to hear is that that's possible, not just for the people in Jesus' hometown, but really for all of us to have what I'm going to call a kind of false sense of familiarity, thinking that we know a lot about Jesus or who he is, we're familiar in certain ways, that might cause us to like actually miss an opportunity to experience him. Kind of crazy to think about, um, challenging for me to think about asking myself the question, like, is it, you know, therefore possible to be familiar with Jesus but not actually have faith in him? And, I mean, it's a good question. Like, have I become in my own life so familiar with him that I've stopped being faithful to him? So that's the question I kind of want to, like, let sit there. I think there are a lot of us who have good reason to feel like we're really familiar uh, with Jesus. We talk the talk, we've grown up in church, we know the songs, we've read the stories, we can pray uh, the prayers. It's all really familiar, almost like, you know, your favorite pair of sweatpants. You know, it's just broken just like you like it, and you always know what to expect, and it's comfortable. And for some of us, that's kind of how faith works in our lives. We know what to expect, and it's comfortable, and it's just the way we like it. For others of us, it doesn't feel comfortable really at all. It is really familiar, but it's so familiar that it's gotten old or stale or dull and tired. 
and you don't want it to be that way, but maybe you've just accepted that for you, that's just the way it is, the way it's always been and the way that it's always going to be. Either way, that kind of familiarity, the too close and comfy kind, or the like, this is just the way it is, fatalistic kind, isn't great. And I think maybe what Mark is trying to say is it actually is For some of us, the barrier, the thing standing between us and a real experience of Jesus. Being familiar is, of course, a good thing. I like familiarity. I like to know the people around me, where I am. I want familiarity with Jesus. Peter, James, and John were familiar with Jesus in a really great way. They knew his voice. They knew the way that he ate his fish. They knew his favorite psalms. All the things that should be true for people who spend a lot of time with somebody. Even Timothy, who never knew Jesus in the flesh like all of us, even Timothy could say, though, of Jesus, I know whom I have believed. That's good familiarity. That's faith. That's the thing we're meant to have. But here's the question, just to come back. If that's good familiarity, if there's a familiarity that leads to faith, And then there's a false familiarity that's going to lead me to stumble or take offense at Jesus. Like, how do I know the difference? Is maybe that's one of the things that Mark is hoping to point out or help us see in this story. As far as I can tell, there are like three markers, three three things that I see that are happening in the people in this story that might be markers for us of a kind of false familiarity. Three things, and we'll walk through them quickly. The first is this. These people know Jesus by proxy. Notice that they mention all the members of his family. We know him because we know his dad, and we know his mom, and we know his brothers, and we know his sister. We know who this guy is. Uh, They knew people who were close to Jesus, and so they thought that that therefore meant that they uh, knew him. If you grew up in a small town, you know exactly what this feels like. Everybody knows everybody around you, and so they think that they know you. So taking that example and similarly like to bring it home, here's where I hear the Lord putting his finger on something in me that might apply to you as well. Listening to other people who know Jesus, sermons, podcasts, books that we read, those things are great to do. Having those people in our lives, their voices and their experiences shaping who we are is great. It's actually an essential part of what it means to be Christian is to follow the example of other people but only as a supplement to your own sense of connection and your own experience of Jesus. It cannot be a substitute. And for a lot of us, I think, too many of us anyway, something that was meant to be supplemental has at some point become more of a substitute. Like knowing the words of Richard Rohr or Tim Keller or... Beth Moore, Michael Todd, whoever your right person is that you like to listen to a lot. Knowing them and their experience of Jesus, again, it's great. But it cannot be your own. It cannot be a substitute for your own. They cannot know Jesus for you. And you can't know Jesus exclusively through them. It's a kind of knowledge by proxy. And it's a different thing. It fosters familiarity, but not necessarily faith. 
Y'all listening to podcasts, as awesome as that is, it's actually not a spiritual practice. And I have to remind myself of that. <laughs> like, as wonderful it is, as it is to listen to a podcast in the mornings, it can't be a replacement for the prayer and time I'm meant to spend with Jesus. And you may be saying, I don't have a, anything else. That's all I've got. That's what I've got time for. That's what I feel like I can manage as a part of my day. And I hear you. I think a lot of us have been in that place. But I wonder if it's possible that if the reason, in fact, that Jesus has put this story in front of you is to say, that may have been true for a season, but you cannot stay there. You cannot let something that's supplemental become a substitute for you, something temporary become permanent. I'm right here in front of you, and I want you to know me through me. There's an invitation for you here, not a condemnation, but maybe an opportunity to grow. All right, secondly, a second marker. They knew Jesus in the past tense. Everything that these people knew about Jesus, or most of what they knew about Jesus, was rooted in the past, the way things were. They couldn't see the Jesus in front of them because they kept thinking back to the way things used to be or the Jesus they used to know. Jesus as a kid, Jesus as a teenager, whatever it was for them. And when I try to apply that or put that into my own life, interesting things come to mind because I do think that this is a, can be a tendency, particularly for those of us who've been with Jesus a long time, is to believe that like the best of our life with God, for some of us we think was in the past, like there was this season or this moment or this time, this stretch of years where, you know, we really did know Jesus. But that was back then and we're kind of always looking back at that time or the way that things were. And I think that it's important, if, particularly if that really resonates for you. That's not, again, necessarily bad to do on its own. I mean, you're meant to look back at a time of flourishing and go, man, I'd really like to have that again. That's good. But you also need to remember that Jesus is not waiting for you back in college or in your 20s. Jesus is in front of you today, wanting to take you into tomorrow and into your future the best days of your life with God are not behind you because Jesus is in front of you. And that's what these people missed. They kept looking back at some memory of Jesus and trying to like reconcile it with the moment they were in rather than just going, man, look at who he is in front of me and the opportunity I have to follow him, learn and grow. He wants you to know him today in this season for the sake of where you're headed, and you can. Remember, he came to bring them the kingdom of heaven. They had to resist it. Here's a third thing. I'll sort of end here. They were offended rather than challenged by the presence of Jesus. It's not hard for me, honestly, to imagine why these people felt troubled, uh, even offended, by the presence of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, I think he had that effect on people. When we think about Jesus, we tend to think of him primarily as being really kind and comforting, and of course, he was those things. He made people feel that way. Um, it's also true, though, that he was hard. There was a real challenge in what he had to say. You had to make sense of it, and also, like, it, it landed, and 
places and people that felt uncomfortable. So while it's true, Jesus came to Nazareth to heal people, to touch the sick, to do miracles. We cannot forget that he also came to challenge and shake things up. And that's not just true for Nazareth. It wasn't just true back then. That is who he is. My life with him is about both things. He's going to come to comfort and heal and to challenge me. And so here's what I, what I wonder. The kingdom of heaven is always going to challenge my assumptions. It's always going to challenge my comforts. This is a grace and an invitation for me to go deeper. And y'all, I wonder if over this past year, if we've kind of forgotten that, some of us, if we've spent too much of this past year feeling frustrated and offended by things when what God wanted or intended to do was to challenge us with something, invite us to go deeper in our faith and see him in a new way. And I keep coming back to that over and over again. I want to get past and through and around all of this as much as you do. Trust me. But I cannot forget the fact that the things that unsettle me, provoke me, make me feel the most uncomfortable, if I'm not looking for Jesus in those things, I'm probably missing him. Because he's there. And yet rather than being challenged by him, provoked even, to look deeper, to come forward, instead they got offended. They stumbled quite literally. The verb has a really powerful image Um, The imagery in the Bible is of someone stumbling over a stone that they are meant to orient themselves around, to align with. Instead, they stumble over it. It's why Peter says, the cornerstone has become the stone over which men stumble. Rather than feeling challenged, people felt offended so that they scattered rather than coming close to Jesus. And so my question for you is, has that happened for you in an area of your life? I understand, for example, being frustrated about masks. That's annoying and frustrating. I get it. I do not understand being offended. Those are different things. And for the Christian to be offended in a way that would push me back from community or from the table or from the presence of Jesus, that's something we've got to sit with and take seriously. You know, there are people all around this world who are giving their lives to get to church and to the table to be in the presence of Jesus. And that's just one example. I think our culture loves to make us easy to offend, loves to push our buttons and provoke so that we can yell and scream at each other. And we've just got to start resisting that in Jesus' name. I will also say there are very good reasons for which people get offended and feel frustrated, hurt, or feel pain. Jesus felt those things. He felt angry and frustrated at times. But rather than feeling offended in a way that caused him to stumble or scatter, instead what Jesus did is take his frustration and his pain and push it in a redemptive direction. Move forward and through it. Choosing to like find the love on the other side of the offense or the frustration. And we have got to, in Jesus' name, commit to doing the same thing. That's what it means for us to follow him and be people made in his likeness. We'll grow if we'll do that. That's the invitation in front of us, to grow deeper, have something real, to have faith, not familiarity. It's what he wants to give you.
two questions for you to sit with and reflect on uh, maybe today or this week. The first is this. Have you become too reliant on the faith of other people? So that condemnation or fear of judgment, just like answer that question. Does that feel true for you? And if so, what needs to change? And secondly, where do you feel the most triggered or easily offended right now? Feels the most raw. Name it and take it before the Lord and pray over it. Because Jesus might be in the thing, you know. There might be a challenge and an invitation for you in that place to go deeper. Amen. May it be so. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.